a short episode on the planets with Daniel T. Andreasen on episode 340 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars and looking up to see the planets. So welcome back to the show, Daniel. Uh, again, really appreciate you coming on and helping to arrange the show notes for a really great short series on a little bit of the science behind what people can see in the nighttime sky. So thank you. It's a pleasure. It's a lot of fun to be here. Great. I have to start with a joke, though. How do astronomers organize a party? I don't know. How do they do it? They plan it. (laughs) (laughs) I I tried a few jokes out on Daniel before we recorded, and and that was the one that tested best. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) <laughs> so where do we want to start on the on the planets, guys? Well, it's a good question. I think we'll start with the one closest to, to the sun. It's always a nice place to start. All right. Well, uh, maybe let's just give people a quick rundown of the whole solar system. How many planets do we have? And uh, what are the two main types of planets that we have out here? Yes, we, we used to have nine. Actually, we used to have fewer, but some were discovered and some were disclassified. Yeah. Now we have eight planets in our solar system, and we have the inner rocky planets, there are four of those, and then we have four giant gas planets, which are the outer planets, and they are divided by the asteroid belts that I talked about in the previous episode. And so how can somebody who maybe is not that familiar with the planets, you know, I know when, when Shane and I go out and do public observing or set our telescopes up for people to look at, often people are surprised to find out that they can see a planet just with their eye. They don't need a telescope or anything too fancy. How can people uh, tell that they're looking at a star versus a planet or a planet versus a star, I guess I should say? Yes, and and it's a good party trick to to know as well. I entertain many people (laughs) just saying, oh, there is Venus, there is Jupiter, there is Mars, because I can see Mars is, is red. And the fact that it's not blinking, because usually stars are blinking, and planets they don't. Um, and the the reason that planets uh, that stars are blinking is that it's just a point source of light and going through the atmosphere. And the atmosphere is is rather weird place to to be for for light. So it it just goes in a straight line for for many years through empty space and then they hit the atmosphere of, of earth and it goes wiggly down the atmosphere and sometimes it just looks like the star is blinking if you go above the atmosphere if you could somehow then you'll see that stars are, are not blinking but planets they are a disk of light so even though the light does the same there's just so much light coming from the planets that they don't appear to blink so the first planet you mentioned that we'll talk about is that one closest to the sun which is Mercury. And uh, I have a question for you, Daniel, sort of a little bit off script, but have you observed or had the opportunity to observe Mercury yet? Yes, I I did. And I remember when I observed it, it was more by accident. I I was standing on on a cliff overlooking a a beach. It was very beautiful at January. And I saw Venus and the sun was setting and then was something closer to, to the horizon. And I saw that was Mercury. So I remember quite easily because it was just a beautiful scenery. Um, I know that Mercury could have been observed here for 
or was it a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago, but yeah. I wasn't able to. And so how can people see it for themselves? And maybe if you can tell us a little bit about Mercury. Yes. So I, I will have a list of interesting facts about all the all the planets. And Mercury is one of the two planets that we have to to look almost towards the, the sun to see. So it's near sunrise or sunset. And of course, you have to be very cautious uh, when using optical aid, even with the naked eye, because you are looking towards the the sun. So be careful only to use binoculars or telescopes after the sun has, has set, otherwise you might damage your eyes. But it's the, it's the closest planet to, to the sun, and it's also the smallest planet. And there are actually some moons in the solar system that are larger than, than Mercury. It's also the fastest planet go, hurtling around the, the sun with 47 kilometers per second which is remarkably fast. I could go all the way to work in one second if I could go that fast. <laughs> um, and, and some interesting fact about it was that Mercury was used to as a, as a proof for Einstein's general relativity um, because it has an anomaly in its orbit. It was actually the precession of the uh, perihelion when it's closest to, to the sun that that looked weird, which you cannot de describe um, or explain with new Newton's uh, law of, of, of gravity, but it could be explained with uh, Einstein's new theory, which was one of the, the biggest proof for general relativity. So congratulations on Mercury's role in, in that. <laughs> I think when they did that observation, they went and observed Mercury during a solar eclipse Imagine launching a solar eclipse expedition, Shane, and not actually watching the eclipse, but looking at Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, I'm sure they had a quick view of the eclipse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perhaps. It, I, I, uh, sorry, go ahead, Daniel. It, it's it's almost correct. I, I think that for for the case for Mercury, they, they just did the calculation to prove that Einstein was correct, yeah. but they mm. did observe some stars behind the, the sun during a solar eclipse and they they had two expeditions uh, just in case one of them would be would be cloudy mm -hmm. um but yeah that was also that was the time where Einstein became world famous and and everyone knew about uh, about him I can see Shane highlighting the note of caution that if people are going to go and take a look at, uh, at at the sun or any kind of solar uh, phenomena or mercury, which might be close to the sun, to always use safe uh, solar precautions. For example, any kind of solar observing, you need to either observe with uh, people that know what they're doing or learn yourself in how to use uh, specialized solar filters. Like Daniel, you were telling us about uh, when we met up here this, uh, this afternoon. And then... Uh, as well, you can observe Mercury. Again, you have to wait for favorable conditions where Mercury is going to be very far away from the sun. It can get, I think, as far as uh, 20 to uh, 25 degrees from the sun at, at the, the best elongations. And if you do observe it, you have to be prepared to be underwhelmed, having observed it many times through the telescope myself. The greatest features that you'll see would be uh, equivalent to seeing the moon passing behind very heavy clouds 
uh, on a really rainy evening. <laughs> so it's a little bit underwhelming, but you can see some sort of dusky features that are, uh, that are a little bit blurred. All right, moving on yes. a little bit closer to home. Let's talk about uh, Venus. It's just passed. It's June 4th, uh, greatest elongation in the evening sky. But uh, yeah, maybe we can uh, move on to that planet. Well, we wouldn't want to move there because it's pretty hot, but uh, we'll visit it briefly <laughs> before our feet get too warm. Very briefly. Otherwise, it's going to be extremely unpleasant. <laughs> but yes, it, it's, uh, it's a nice uh, planet to talk about right now because it's it's so brilliant in the in the evening. It's also known as the, the twin of Earth because they have the same size. It's, it's slightly smaller than, than Earth, but it's roughly the same size. But it's not a place that you would want to go because the atmosphere is extremely dense. And, and when it rains, it's uh, with sulfuric acid, <laughs> which I heard is going to hurt a lot. It's also the, the hottest planet at 475 uh, Celsius. So even though Mercury is, is closer, and it can uh, reach extreme uh, heats on the on the sun side or the day side on, on Mercury. Venus is is the hottest. So what happened here is is really greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and greenhouse effect just going completely bananas. And I I remember some of the first uh, missions going there. They didn't understand why they couldn't get any signal back from their from the satellites going into the atmosphere. But it was just being destroyed by the hostile environment. It's a planet where we still might have active volcanoes. Uh, a fun thing about uh, Venus is that it rotates the opposite way. So the sun rises in, in west and it sets in east opposite what we see here. And like Mercury, since it's it's closer to the sun than us, we have to look towards the sun in order to, to see it. These days, it's it's quite easy because it's it's high on the on the evening sky, um, and it's also known as the as the morning star or, or night star or evening star because mm -hmm. it's it's so bright, and it's the brightest object on the night sky after the moon. And one interesting thing is that it's possible to see the faces uh, like we do on the moon uh, with a with a telescope. It's something I, I tried, but I, I didn't manage yet. But I would like to see the, the faces of, of Venus. Yeah, I was going to ask if you've been able to uh, to see those those yet or, or anything else. But uh, it's still fairly high up. So hopefully you get the opportunity later this month. Although I think your perpetual twilight is even brighter than than ours here in Saskatchewan. Yeah, unfortunately. I I also always try to encourage people to maybe get a contrast booster. I, I like the batter contrast booster. And if you use uh, reasonably high power, like 100 to uh, 125 power on Venus, you can see the clouds. And one of the things you mentioned, Daniel, is about those possibly active volcanoes. And I was recently reading an amateur report where they were able to correlate some of their dusky features in the cloud top uh, that they they were observing with some of those volcanoes. What whether that that proves out or not is is yet to be seen. But it's interesting that you can actually see some variation in tones on the clouds of Venus. Particularly, the poles tend to be quite a bit brighter than the central portion, and the central portion often has these uh, dark bands. They almost look like these strands of DNA sort of cutting uh, across those mm. cloud tops. It's very subtle though. So it takes some practice. Yeah, it's fascinating. Earth. Let's, uh, let's stop by Earth for a second. The only planet 
that possibly has intelligent life on it. <laughs> it's definitely the only planet uh, that we know of that has life on on universe. Whether it's intelligent is is yet to to be discovered. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's the only planet that is is visible all the time. Obviously, uh, we're walking around on it, and I'll not spend too much time on on Earth because we already know so much about it. I would like to mention its moons, though. It has two moons, and uh, we are all aware of of one of them. On this, you you live in a cave. We have a uh, the moon. That's <laughs> what it's called. And uh, a fun, interesting fact about our moon is that the ratio between the sizes of our moon and Earth is the largest in the solar system. So there are other planets with with moons. But there, the planets are much bigger compared to the moon, which is not the case here. And that might actually, there are some people that believe that this this could influence uh, the evolution of of life because of the tidal effects that the moon leaves on 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 Earth. Um, hey, hang on, like just a sec. Uh, you said there was another moon. Did I hear you correctly? Yeah, yeah, you heard me correctly, and it's it's not something that <laughs> that most people know about. About uh, it's also this isn't like the the thing that people were talking about years back that was going to collide with the Earth, and everybody was buying extra insurance or something. <laughs> I, I I don't know if there are some astronomers working in insurance companies as well, <laughs> <laughs> but actually there are quite a few smaller objects that. We say it's in a resonant with with Earth, uh, so it could be considered a, a moon. And the most stable one we have uh, at the moment was discovered in 2016. And I am sorry to our Hawaiian listeners, but I'll try to pronounce it. It's called Kamo Oaleva, and it's as I said, it's in a resonant with with our orbit, which means that it's kind of following along our orbit. So it's not orbiting around Earth, but it's rather in our orbit and, and rather stable. Hmm. I'm looking I'm looking that up. I want to see if I could see what the magnitude was. It's going to be pretty faint. It's only 20.5 meters across. Oh, wow. Tiny. Yes. Yeah. So that's Tiny object. Small. So don't expect to go out and see it with a naked eye. That's for sure. <laughs> no. Well, another planet that has two moons that you might be able to see through a telescope would be uh, Mars. Have you been able to get a good view of Mars during the uh, last year's uh, opposition of Mars, Daniel? Yes, and and one thing I, I really liked about that that time was I saw the occultation with the with the moon, which was, oh, was yeah. quite fascinating. I went up very early to start taking photos of it, and. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't talk about anything else during my entire day at work and showing pictures <laughs> to all my colleagues. <laughs> yes, Mars is, is a fascinating planet because it's it's something that we can easily recognize. Remember that planets are the ones that, that don't blink. And Mars is, is very easy easily to to distinguish from the other planets because it's it's red. And I, I find it quite easy to see that it's much redder than most of the things around. There are some stars that have a similar color, um, but usually they they blink. And its rest actually it's red because it's uh, it's rusty on the surface. There is a lot of of iron on the on the surface, and that has simply just become into to rust that gives the characteristic uh, red color. 
and Mars has captured captured two two asteroids in the asteroid belt, and they're called Phobos uh, and and Dimers, which from the mythology are the sons of of Mars, if I remember correctly. And it's the host of of many missions. There are a lot of uh, spacecraft going on over there, and we still search for life, even though I think we slowly start to to lose hope. But it's uh, probably probably a mission um, with humans in in the in the near future is something that I hope to to witness uh, one day. I'm just sharing my. I did a sketch of the occultation there as as Mars was going behind and then reappearing back on December seventh, I guess it was. Oh uh, yeah, I see. Then you can see I even put a little. Uh, diagram of myself and my wife who were observing it at minus 18, minus 27 degrees with the wind chill, apparently. <laughs> I, I didn't freeze that much, luckily. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your effort. <laughs> Good stuff. Go ahead, well, Shane. Yeah, I think it's time to switch over to the, the gas giants. And Daniel, you mentioned earlier, uh, I think on the first episode with us, that Jupiter was one of your first observations or a memorable observation um, so maybe tell us a little bit about, uh, Jupiter and, uh, you know, what, what is unique about it? Yes. Jupiter is the, is the biggest planet in, in our solar system. And it still to this day today, it's competing with, with Saturn that we'll talk about, uh, soon with having most moons. And I'm actually unsure which one has most moon, moon, uh, moons right now. They have around 50 or 60 moons. And um, the, the problem is that many of these are, are so small that they are nearly Im- impossible to, mm. to see. Uh, but with professional telescopes, it's, it's, uh, it's possible. And Jupiter is, is known for many things. Um, one thing it's known for is the big red spot, which is a giant storm um, that has been observed since 1831. And probably even even before that, and it's if I remember correctly, it's around three to four times as big as as Earth. So it's a huge storm going uh, going on. It's something I wasn't able to observe yet, um, but I, I definitely will try to when it gets a little bit darker here in in Denmark. Jupiter is also known for the four biggest moons, um, which are visible just with with binoculars. And they were observed first time by Galileo Galilei, uh, hence the, the name. They're also known as the Galilean moons. Ganymedes is the largest moon of, of those four and also the largest moon in the solar system, even larger than, than Mercury. And then we have uh, Callisto and Europa, which have icy surfaces, but they are believed to have huge oceans under the, the ice sheets. And then we have Io, which is actually the most volcanic active place in the in the solar system. And this is because of tidal forces, where the moon is just squished all the time by the huge gravity of, of Jupiter. Daniel, when, when you uh, observe Jupiter, do you recall seeing any of the cloud banding or banding around uh, the, like the face of Jupiter? Yes, since I start observing with a, with a telescope, uh, I have 
been able to to notice the the bands. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's it's one of my favorite objects to observe um, when when the atmosphere here on Earth is steady. Uh, the amount of detail that is observable on Jupiter with even a modest telescope, like a three inch refractor, um, you know, it, it really is outstanding what you can see there. And then when you add on the Galilean moons and the shadow transits and the great red spot, there's just so much potential and different color and contrasts that uh, it's one of my favorite objects to look at by far. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to its return to the night sky here uh, in the fall. Yeah. So moving, moving on from Jupiter, uh, the next one is Saturn, which for a lot of folks, this is, you know, a, a strong memory or maybe the first object that they've ever looked at through a telescope. It was for me when I was probably between eight and 10, uh, my mother had taken me to the local observatory. They happened to be looking at Saturn and I thought for sure that it was a hoax that they just had a picture of the planet that they maybe taped onto the end of this telescope tube. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, you know, these very crisp rings and a crisp planetary disc. It, it was phenomenal. So what can you tell us about, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings here? <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I have more or less the exact, exact uh, same story from a, a colleague that observed it, uh, as a session with last, last, uh, autumn. And he just used his uh, bird watching telescope and pointed at Saturn and he was amazed and he was sure that I was holding up a photograph at the <laughs> end when he wasn't looking. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's it's definitely known for, for the rings and the the rings are, are spectacular and beautiful and I never met anyone that, that didn't think so. Mm-hmm. And actually the, the rings might have been a moon at some point uh, that have been destroyed by the by the tidal forces from from Saturn, and the rings are just uh, blocks of of ice and 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 dust and and rocks, and not very very thick. Some time ago, back in two thousand and five, we had a little spacecraft uh, called Huygens that landed on its biggest moon, Titan, which has a methane uh, atmosphere. I remember it was quite spectacular that they could actually land uh, a spacecraft on a moon on an, around another planet. And it was able to collect uh, data for around uh, 90 minutes. And a little fun fact about Saturn, about two tons of the mass of Saturn comes from Earth in form of different space missions. So we've sent a, a lot of different things up there and just crashed it into Saturn when we were done playing with it. Uh, that's not very nice, but it's <laughs> a huge gas planet, which means it doesn't have a solid surface. So it's not a place for for life to to be. So I'm sure no one no one cared so much on Saturn. So the the angle of the rings, as uh, we see them from Earth, is the angle is always changing, and I think we're moving towards it sort of closing up so that it will become edge on to us. And I'm not sure, Daniel, if you've ever seen that. Uh, the last time it happened, I observed it, and while it maybe wasn't as pretty, it was still just as fascinating to me because now you have this round disc of Saturn, you're used to all of the photos of these beautiful rings, but it was just like this very bright line. You know, it was, it was quite the thing. And I'm looking forward to that to return, even though it's maybe not quite as pretty. I, I wasn't able to see it yet, but I am looking forward to that too. So next one, I guess here in the lineup is uh, Uranus. I'm kind of fascinated by this uh, because of the Herschel uh, backstory, but 
I'll let you amaze amaze the listeners with this one. So I'll I'll, I'll hand it back to you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, actually, this is an interesting uh, planet because it was the first planet discovered by a telescope or using a telescope by William Herschel back in 1781. And uh, Herschel, he suggested to call it Georgium Sidus after King George III, but Porter uh, suggested that it would be called Uranus after uh, the Greek gods of, of, of the sky. Uh, in line with all the other planets that were already there, and I'm very happy that that Herschel didn't didn't push through with a Georgium Sidus. <laughs> that would have sounded a little bit interesting. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, and it takes a lifetime to orbit the, the sun with around 84 Earth years. Neither of the three of us have have experienced an entire orbit of uh, of Uranus. And like Venus, it also rotates from east to to west, but uh, the the orbit is, is also tilted. Some of you might know that Earth orbit is tilted with, I think, around twelve degrees, and this is the reason why we have have seasons here on on Earth. But Uranus is is tilted uh, completely ninety degrees, or at least close to it. Yeah, bizarre. I remember when I read that for the first time, it was just yet another one of these examples of how unique and non-uniform the universe is. It's uh, There's many different variables out there, and uh, Uranus is certainly one of them. Um, have you been able to observe this one, Daniel, before? No, uh, unfortunately not. I, I think my girlfriend was able to observe it. We tried to hunt it down from a, a darker spot. Um and she said she saw it, but I was not able to to locate it. So it's still on my to-do list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this past year, it was in a, like to observe from the backyard, I found a little challenging just to locate it. It wasn't near any prominent stars, so it was a, a little hard to locate. But yeah, uh, you know, probably similar to maybe what we talked about with Mercury and, and Venus, there's not a lot to see on Uranus through a telescope. Maybe you, you'll tease out a little bit of that kind of greenish tone uh, if you have a large enough aperture, but for the most part, it's it's a little uninspiring, at least uh, for myself. But the next one can show some color. Uh, I remember through my eight-inch uh, Dobsonian uh, definitely pulling out some color. I guess that this is the last official planet uh, or, or, you know, within the category of just plain old planet, uh, Neptune. So what uh, what what about this one? Yeah, exactly. This is the, the furthest one away in our solar system. And its appearance was actually predicted before it was observed because Uranus moved in a, in a peculiar way. So we thought that there might be something else there and it should be, and they predicted where it should be. And they looked with the telescope and they saw there was a planet and this was uh, Neptune. And it was observed in 1846. And it actually only completed its first trip around the sun since its discovery back in 2011. So it takes quite a while for it to, to get around. It's funny, I'm sure most of you know that Pluto used to be a planet. And Pluto's uh, orbit is so elliptical that sometimes it's actually closer to the sun than, than Neptune. Um, yeah, interesting object. It's also not something I was able to, to see yet. Still on my, my to-do list. 
Yeah, what what interests me too about Neptune, in addition to the odd visual observation, is um, how some amateurs are imaging Neptune and catching uh, some of the storms that occur there. Or I think we believe they're storms, but sort of like white blotches or or white appearances uh, on the surface. Again, another interesting planet. It would be it would be really cool if missions to Uranus and Neptune occurred, like similar to what has happened with uh, the Huygens uh, mission to Saturn, uh, where, you know, we were just able to get more more data, more information about those two planets. Uh, I'd, I'd be quite interested in that. But I guess we have our, our last category, and maybe I'll turn it over to you, Chris, just to introduce this one. Yeah, sure. You probably saw my punny joke there that I recall somebody wearing a shirt at a star party that read, when I was young, Pluto was still a planet. So you you reference the dwarf planets here a, a few times, Daniel. What are dwarf planets exactly? And what are some of the examples of dwarf planets in our solar system? Yes, uh, dwarf planets are objects that kind of are big enough to to dominate in, in its neighborhood with its, its gravity. But it's not something that is, is so massive that it has cleared its entire orbit. Like the other planets that we know of, often they are they are quite small. They can look like regular planets, uh, but they can also be a bit more irregular. And I'll just talk about two examples of, of uh, dwarf planets here. We have discovered more. And the uh, best known <laughs> Pluto is uh, <laughs> used to be the ninth planet, um, but now it's a, it's a dwarf planet since 2006. This is something I learned about Pluto. It actually had five moons. Mm-hmm. I only knew about uh, Charon, which is the biggest one, which was observed, I guess, with the Hubble Space Telescope. And you can probably see images of, of that. Uh, later, more have, have been, uh, been discovered. And it's interesting because the, the center of, of mass between Charon and Pluto is outside Pluto. Mm-hmm. While, for example, the center of mass between Earth and, and the moon is, is inside Earth. So it, it just shows that Pluto is, is not that dominating. It's not able to, to really remove all the, the material in, in its orbits. And then the, the next dwarf planet I would like to talk a little bit about is Cirrus, uh, which is uh, located in the, in the asteroid belt. And it used to be an asteroid, but it was, uh, unlike Pluto, it was uh, later uh, upgraded uh, or promoted to, uh, to a dwarf planet. Um, and it's the only dwarf planet in the inner solar system. The rest are... Uh, near Pluto or, or further further away. And um, it was discovered back in 1801, and it was the first dwarf planet to be visited back in 2015. Hmm. And some of you might remember that a few years ago, I cannot remember exactly when, uh, there was a space mission, New Horizon, going past Pluto. And it saw that beautiful ice volcano. I remember those mm-hmm. those photos. Every, everybody was hoping that it was going to be the uh, alien civilization, but <laughs> it was just a cryovolcano. Yes, and and the the heart of the on the surface. <laughs> Have you had a chance to take a look at either Pluto or Ceres yet in your astronomy journey? No, uh, I I have not. I only looked at the the brightest uh, objects in in our solar system so far. Pluto, Pluto is difficult to see. A few people have hunted it down while I've been observing with them. And then 
they they describe which extremely faint star it is in the field, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know. Exactly. So I suppose technically I can say that light that's reflecting off the surface of Pluto has has hit my retina, but I I can't tell you which light that was. Uh, mm-hmm. Ceres actually isn't too bad. Ceres you, you can hunt down when it's at opposition with a pair of binoculars. So I've seen that a few times myself. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's definitely on my list. Excellent. Well, anything to add to this planetary episode, Daniel? Um, no, I, I think let's end where we started. Just be sure that planets are the ones that don't blink and stars are the ones blinking. Uh, it's a good party trick. Just tell that to to your friends when you're out observing. And Shane, do you have anything to add to this episode? No, nothing. Thank you very much, Daniel. I've enjoyed this entire series and uh, it's been uh, very informative for me. Appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. It it sure was. (laughs) And thanks to everybody for listening. You can always reach us at actualastronomy at gmail.com with your observations, questions, or show ideas. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, Or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.